0: Hello and welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder. I'm Megan Silas. And I'm Pam Marvin. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today. Um, I hope we haven't scared you off. If you're back, that means right. that you're you're back for round three of this four-part series on chaste living. Our very lively um, <laughs> exactly. conversation. Right. And, I, you know, I really hope that these uh, conversations are ones maybe that, you know, echo things that you've been having and maybe will be helpful to give you some or encourage you to have them with people in your life who, you know, maybe you've been shying away from having these difficult conversations because you're just afraid of how, you know, the person might react or causing some kind of rift in your relationship or whatever. But I think the reality is, is that if we're going to have deep, meaningful, intimate relationships, we got to be willing to be honest and to risk some things, to risk right. being uncomfortable, to risk maybe even some disagreement In order to really get at the heart of the matter of who we are, what we believe, what God's plan for us is, if we can't share those things, then we're never really going to have truly fulfilling relationships with, you know, our friends, our family members, our other, you know, um, brothers and sisters in Christ. So, you know, God calls us to be bold. He calls us to trust in, in the goodness and light of truth that uh, it will bring about good even, right. you know, even when sometimes it may seem difficult or it may cause some short term, um, you know, discomfort or even rifts that, you know, ultimately living in truth is the best way to
1: live. Right. We are called to do difficult things. We are called to these challenges. And I am the first person to tell you this was not in my upbringing. These things that are so difficult and trying for me, I, I so lean toward that sensuality of keeping things nice and comfortable. You know, I'm a, a peacekeeper by nature and everything like that. And so it's, I really believe, Megan, I'm going to just be like very, you know, confession time here. I think that at the end of my life, life, the Lord will really chastise me most for not speaking more truth based on my own personal sensuality and not wanting to make people uncomfortable. I really do. I think I'm going to have a lot to pay for that. So that's a reason I'm really glad we're going to be having one of those challenging conversations that parents oftentimes need to have with their adult children right Mm -hmm. as we go into talking about um, chase living in the unmarried state right you know i i used to
0: be very much like you pam in that sense of really wanting to be a conflict avoider really keep the peace yeah i don't when i was in high school early in college like i remember even taking there was this quiz that they gave us at the you know at school one time that kind of put people on this uh, spectrum as far as this very topic of conflict avoiding or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, more on the other end of like kind of a fighter. And I was super on the end of conflict avoider, like really far. And I swear, I do not know what happened to me at some point in, you know, maturity in college (laughs) or whatever, just somehow this switch flipped in me. That was just like, everything just became about truth to me. Mm. Like, I will pursue truth no matter what, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter what anybody thinks of me, like I'm going mm-hmm. for for it. And the interesting thing is, is that that very, you know, switch flip was the same thing that led me to agnosticism and eventually to Catholicism. <laughs> it I was the same pattern. pursuit, That's right? you know, and it was just that, that plan of how God wanted to take me. But, So, yeah, I mean, Mm. so now I'm at the point where, you know, one of the biggest compliments that I've ever gotten from one of my children is my son Robbie said to me one day, Mom, you're very comfortable talking about uncomfortable things. (laughs) You know, and I was like, you know what? Thank you, Robbie, because that's what I hope, to be someone who is willing to talk about the uncomfortable things why? For love,
1: yes. out of love.
0: And so this issue of chaste living, it really is at its core about loving authentically, yes. right? That's, And we all desire that so much. We want to love authentically. It is how we are ordered as human beings, how God made us is to want to love and be loved. But He's placed in us the desire to love and be loved in purity and in truth, the way he loves us. So every time that we engage in behaviors that compromise that, that take love out of its pure, well-ordered, godly way of being lived into a more disordered, fallen way of loving, we will Hurt ourselves and hurt others. Yes, indeed.
1: Yes, yeah, so I kind of want to frame this episode too a little bit, Megan, that we're going to be speaking on this very um, great topic about chase living in the unmarried state, both from as if we had friends that were were living unchastely in unmarried state, you know, the way we would talk to a companion. But also I wanna like throw in that aspect of adult children. Mm-hmm. Like if we have adult children and how to speak and, and coach them, I'm really into that the, the framework of being a coach saying, Hey, we're shoulder to shoulder on this one. And this is how you go out there and get it right. Mm-hmm. You know? right. So I kind of want to frame it that way where this is a conversation that needs to be had with both friends and family members. Sure.
0: And I will say, because we spent the last episode speaking specifically about um, same sex attracted individuals, we're going to be focusing more on heterosexual individuals in this topic, but really, it, it doesn't really matter. It's the same for both groups. It doesn't really matter who you're attracted to. What it looks like to live chastely as a single person is the same. That's right. So we're not calling our homosexual um, brothers and sisters to any higher standard or different standard than we're calling the heterosexual brothers and sisters. So that needs to be stated very clearly. Yes. And not misunderstood, because I think that there's a lie that goes around that says, all right, you know, same-sex attracted people, you have to live this way totally, you know, without engaging in any sex and everything, you know. But over here, you know, we heterosexual folks can kind of be a little looser on how we live this business out.
1: Nope. Mm. Nope. Right. (laughs) And so one of the things I really want to make a little emphasis on this part, too, is that intimacy... Does not mean intercourse, right? Correct. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, how we often... We need to really talk about what it means to be intimate, folks, and we need to get comfortable being intimate intellectually before sexually. Absolutely. I mean, because who would say that the uh, relationship between a
0: prostitute and uh, the person that, you know, gets the person's services, is that like a beautiful, intimate experience? No. So we know that sex can be devoid of any true intimacy. So they're not the same thing. Nope. So just in the same vein, you can have true intimacy without sex. Yes, it can actually happen. Yes. So we really want to have an emphasis on that too. Right. So I think one of the important things to do as we go into this topic is to have some definitions here. Um, I think the, the term fornication is actually not used very much anymore. It seems to be just sort of this word that's fallen into the dustbin of history to a, a significant degree, to the point where a lot of people don't even get that it's not the same thing as adultery. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just define those two yes. terms so people know exactly what we're talking about. Adultery is when a, there is sexual activity happening outside of a marriage already occurred
1: marriage right yes yeah. out of an yeah. already
0: occurred marriage so basically one or both of the partners in a sexual act are married to somebody else so okay so let's give a, you know the most common example a man cheats on his wife okay he is committing the act of adultery the woman that he is having sex with that is not his wife is also committing the act of adultery because he is she is having sex with a person who is married. And so there is a sin against that marriage. The man sins against his marriage and the woman who's sleeping with him is sins against his marriage, too. Mm-hmm. So in a way, the man's culpability is even greater. Right. Because he's sinned against his own marriage, his own covenant. But it's still adultery whenever anyone is married. And then when both people are married, just think of how that compounds itself, right? Okay, so when both people are married and they're having sex with a person who's not their spouse, that man sins against his marriage and he sins against the woman's marriage. And the woman sins against the man's marriage and her own marriage. Mm, mm. Oh, my goodness. Just the compounding of it and how much damage and things that that does so that's adultery so we're not really talking about that today because we're not talking about the married state we're talking about the unmarried state and one of the reasons why we decided not to do a show on adultery is because praise be to god most of society still says adultery is wrong. There aren't many people who are out there being like, it's totally cool to cheat on your spouse. Yeah, we have no problem with that. Like, so I almost feel like... Some
1: some cultures. No, s-
0: no some cultures it's not great, but at least in America still to this day, for the most upon. part, it's frowned upon, right? So we kind of didn't focus on that as much. But so fornication is when two unmarried people have sex before they get married. So I think in our culture now we tend to use the term premarital sex instead of fornication, but they are analogous. Mm. Okay. So when we say fornication, premarital sex, same thing.
1: Right. You know, there's semantics again. That's one of those ways that the evil one kind of like waters it down just yeah. a little right. bit. Because, you know, it doesn't say in the Bible, thou shall not. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> have, have premarital sex, but it does say no fornication. Right. And words matter, words right? So they matter. really
0: do matter. Yes. And the term fornication sounds yucky. Yes, it does. It really does. You're a fornicator. Right. I mean, who like wants to be called that? Right. But if someone says, "Well, you're engaging in premarital sex." Like, "Yeah, I'm cool with that." Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm up to. It's
1: beautiful and lovely, right? But
0: the reality is in the Bible, fornication and premarital premar- sex are the same, same thing. So right. don't delude yourself based on semantics that you're not engaging in a sin that is very clearly you grave. know laid out mm-hmm. in the Bible as a sin that is grave. St. Paul says fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's a—so the church places it within the realm of mortal sin.
1: Yeah, you know, Megan, one of the things that I see in my line of work as the as infertility care, too, is I really coach them that when you have that sacrament behind your union, which most of the people that come to me are living um, chastely before marriage— and I usually always very much congratulate them because having the sacrament behind that first encounter with your spouse in the marital embrace is blessed doubly because you've got that sacrament, right? Right. So it's just an, it's such an abundant blessing. And there's so many psychosexual things that go along with that bond, too, mm-hmm. that you would miss out on if you're fornicating. Right. Right. And it does, you know, bring
0: into the issue of when you do engage in sexual relations with somebody before you get married, it's very common that you won't end up marrying the first, second, or even third person maybe that you engage in that behavior with. And you bring that into your marriage. You can never put aside that you engaged in that most
1: intimate of physical experiences with someone else. No, there's soul bonds there, too. Megan. There are. Yeah. There are real so soul bonds that happen. That God created for a husband and wife. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons he said, wait until marriage with the sacrament, because I'm going to give you this amazing bond to one another by being the one and only to have sexual intercourse with.
0: Right. And when you bring those other things into your marriage, I mean, I'm sure many couples have experienced that the specter of those previous relationships can raise their ugly head in the marriage where there's a maybe not a quite the same level of trust mm-hmm. a same level of feeling that the the person that they're married to is really all there in that relationship or right. there, there's comparisons being happening or somehow there's a, an attachment that hasn't been broken to the other individual and cause can cause issues with jealousy and all these sort of things like, It can cause some real trouble in in whoever you inevitably marry.
1: So I want to encourage our listeners that if you found yourself like this, as many, many people have, um, having been in states of fornication, there's lots of healing, sexual healing prayers available through your Catholic websites, through EWTN and different places like that. They can offer some healing prayers for sexual sin. And we just really encourage you to start um, your healing process.
0: Yeah. So what the church calls us to as um, single individuals is to be celibate, to not have sexual intercourse prior to engaging in a sacramental marriage. So when you're dating somebody and you're growing deeper in your relationship and you're feeling those very strong urges of of attraction and, and desire, the church calls us to... Continue to live celibately in that relationship as you, you know, continue to discern whether or not you're called to marriage. And one of the things that I really feel that may be part of the issue as to why Christians and Catholic Christians are finding themselves in situations where the divorce rates aren't that much different than the general population is because allowing fornication, allowing premarital sex into the relationship inhibits the proper discernment as to whether you're called to marriage.
1: Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. And Very so you, strong.
0: people, because that bonding in the sexual embrace mm-hmm. is so strong, mm-hmm. it can cloud the mind. Mm-hmm. As you, we were talking between the break that the, the idea that mortal sin darkens the intellect, it inhibits one's ability to see clearly truth and God's will for our lives. Yes. And so when we've engaged into that, we've have our intellect darkened. Our our reason has been darkened. Yes. We are acting out of emotion and feelings in a disordered way. We are more likely to allow those disordered actions and those strong feelings to be our guide rather than the reason that God has given us. And rather than seeking his illumination of what he's calling to us in our lives. Because when we're in a state of mortal sin, we're actually separated from God's grace. And so discernment is going
1: to be near impossible when you are outside of God's grace. Right. So what was it you were saying in the break about dissonance, that intellectual dissonance? Oh,
0: right. Yeah. And so the the reality is, is that human beings cannot stand to be in a state of cognitive dissonance. When they are living in a way that's not in keeping with something that they know to be true or that they believe may be true. They will do whatever they can to rationalize behavior. They want to continue to make it coincide with what's in their head. So this process of justifying what you're doing will be very, very easy to fall into, very strong And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the justification of, you know, premarital sex of, well, you know, we're totally going to get married. And, you know, we totally feel like almost like we're married anyway because we're so close and everything. So God doesn't mind. It's just a matter of time. It's just a piece of paper that's really making it all legit. You know, this whole like thought process, Mm -hmm. it's all, you know, wrapped up in. I want to do what I want and I want to do it now. I don't want to wait. It's going to be too hard. It's going Mm -hmm. to be too much of a suffering. So I'm going to convince myself and then try to convince others that God is cool with this.
1: That's the darkened intellect, folks, right there. That's the darkening of it. That uh, justification, that twisting that the evil one does to try and justify bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Darkened intellect. Don't go there. Right. And so
0: when you're in this place of kind of a decision point, I'd kind of like to talk about that place when a couple has been dating and, you know, hopefully they didn't just hook up on the first date. Hopefully, you know, let's talk about a couple.
1: Cause... Let's let's assume some type of formation and morality that's going right. into, you know, coming from a good family Because many good families, that happens as well. No Mm -hmm. doubt about it. Um, But they're coming with a good amount of formation. or moderate. Let's say moderate because that's kind of the status quo.
0: Yeah. So they were ordered towards a relationship, not just, you know, a one-night stand. So this couple has been dating. You know, they really have found that they are attracted to each other. They want to grow in their relationship. And so now they're feeling this desire to take their relationship to the next level, right? Mm. To get involved um, physically. Um, So, so often at this point, there may be the two individuals aren't quite on the same page. You know, someone is much more pushing towards going into the sexual side than another. Generally the male. Sometimes, but nowadays, oh, that's true. you don't know. Like, I'm not yeah. even going to make that assumption anymore. It's, it's really, in the past, it was usually was the female that would be like, yeah, no, we need to wait. Um, and I would say, actually, that the way God has made us as women, that is part of the function that we are meant to have in a relationship. Because, two reasons. One, it has been shown that in general, the amount of emotional bonding that happens when a woman has sexual intercourse with a man is deeper and more significant than it is for the man. Yes. There's because of our hormones, because of the way we are wired, wired. That is so deep for us that it just makes sense that we should protect ourselves more because more is at stake for us. It just is. So that's one. And two, women in the way that we are ordered without having high levels of testosterone to the the way that men do are actually tend to be less strong with a libido. Like we actually have more capacity to abstain. Right. It's like, it's well, what I would say is it's less of a battle for us, you know? And I think most women would agree that, you know, probably the average man is thinking about sex or feeling ordered towards it more than the average female. Obviously there are exceptions to this. Yes, there are. And uh, sometimes these exceptions can be natural and sometimes they can be because of woundedness and a lot of disordered stuff too. You know, either that the man has a low desire or the female has a really high desire. Like there's a lot of factors that can be involved, but in general, women have these things built within them that they have a lower sex drive and they, it's a higher risk of significant attachment when they do engage in sexual behavior. So I would say it is not sexist to say that a woman is ordered towards being more the person that says, let's slow it down. Let's wait. It's not, that is not contrary to being feminist. That is ordered towards being feminist mm. because it is acknowledging the true nature of our femininity. Yes. It's so beautiful. I just want to put mm. that out there. Yeah, it's beautiful. So if you're a woman out there who, has been made to feel bad that maybe you want to like not engage in sexual behavior before marriage or slow things down as far as um, physical intimacy. You're right on track. Don't (laughs) let anybody tell you that that is being prudish being, you know, somehow old like lame and old school
1: and everything. No, No. it's God, God made you that way for a purpose. Right. And I want to strengthen you in that chastity to say what, Kind of the, let's say the, um, why people or say a young woman is disordered in that way where she is an aggressor, a sexual aggressor, usually comes from that disorderedness of wanting to be loved and mm. felt attractive and needing a man, perhaps because of fatherlessness. Um, rampant divorce as well, wanting that love and attention from a male figure, I think has been really at the heart of this female a sexual aggression that we've seen really rise over the last 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Well, and
0: I think it also, you know, this is getting a little off topic, but I'll just state it because it's relevant to what you just said, is I think it is also this idea that feminists have cast sexuality and engaging in sexual behavior as a exhibition of power Mm. and that's partially because men have used it inappropriately to exert power over women. That is true. But the fact that they sinned in that way doesn't mean that we should just go ahead and sin in the same way (laughs) and like try to use it as the exertion of our own power, you know, and, and honestly, you know, power is perfected in weakness, right? So it's kind of like in our ability to say, Lord, you know, you have designed sexuality for a certain purpose. And I recognize that you know better than I do. I am weak. You are strong. I will go with what you have said is good. Instead of trying to say, I know what's good and I'm going to grasp the power for myself.
1: Right.
0: You know, so you got this couple and they're discerning whether or not they should engage in premarital sex. So in that moment, It's really, really a crossroads in the relationship. And I think it's a really good place for a couple to actually ask themselves, what's most important in this relationship? Right. Because the the physical drive can be really, really super strong, right? Sure. But is physical gratification the most important thing in your relationship? Because if it is, I'm sorry, but your relationship is not on good ground because the reality is, is that in any human relationship, be it a romantic relationship, a friendship relationship, a uh, child parent relationship, God should be the central figure in the relationship. And then how you relate to each other should be ordered towards his will and his desire for the good of the other.
1: Which is a perfect segue to Humani Vitae. You know, I have quite a heart for um, natural family planning. And in Humani Vitae, um, Pope Paul VI had said, I believe that young people need a natural way of regulating their passions. Mm. So that was within the context of a married state even. Right. right. Yeah. And so when birth control came on to the the scene in the 60s, it did away with the natural need for self-control and the sexual desire. And if you ask me, it is a cornerstone of <laughs> the problems with that what we have That is so now. true yeah. because, you
0: know, when I was mentioning that women have traditionally been the stopgap as far as like, trying, you know, slowing things down and not engaging in premarital sex. I didn't mention pregnancy as (laughs) another of the great risks for the woman. And the reason I didn't mention it is because I'm so used to contraception Mm -hmm. in my own head that people use it. It wasn't even on the table anymore. Mm. Isn't that sad? So sad. Because then in this reality of fornication, premarital sex, more often than not, I'd say nine times out of 10, if not more, you're also adding the sin of contraception into the mix, not just fornication, but contraception, Mm. because you're not going to engage in that behavior generally and risk pregnancy. Right? That's exactly right. And so, and what that does to the development of a healthy union between these two people, it are, it's, it's basically saying we're going to live a lie in our physical engagement, like we're going to pretend that we're totally open to each other and totally giving self giving in the way that a sexual union should be. Cause it seems like, right. It. Mm-hmm. But in the end we're not, we're withholding our, you know, ability to procreate from each other. And we're pretending that we're, married when really we're not.
1: right? I'm going to give everything to you but my fertility. And even the married state is quite heartbreaking. Quite heartbreaking.
0: It's really really tough. So, you know, it really I'm glad that you brought that up, Pam, because that is a significant part of this whole Picture. Absolutely. And one of the big reasons why, you know, premarital sex has just exploded in our culture because it is consequence free for the most part from the standpoint of pregnancy. Now, is it consequence free as it relates to our spiritual state and our emotional state and our psychological state? Absolutely not. It really does have some significant um, impacts.
1: Also, in Humani Vitae, he also predicted out of uh, wedlock births. Mm-hmm. Right, an increase, and that has absolutely come to pass. Oh, he for sure. also predicted um, the increase in adultery, mm-hmm. which has also come to pass.
0: Yeah, and the increase in abortion. Yes, because when you get pregnant with babies that you didn't plan for and that you don't really want, that's what happens. And outside of the married state, yeah.
1: So, and then the the last one that's really come to fruition these last few years is the objective occasion of women, i.e., pornography. Mm, Which is what we're going to talk about in the next segment. Look at that segue. Yeah, But before
0: we go (laughs) to that, I do want to speak just briefly about cohabitation because so often people equate premarital sex and cohabitation as being like the same thing, but they're actually not. And it's interesting because in our last podcast, we were talking about homosexuality, the topic of cohabitation kind of came up, right? Right. Like if you're just going to choose to be uh, chaste and not engage in sexual behavior as a same sex attracted couple, wouldn't it be okay to live together? Right? Well, I was saying back then the, for the two reasons of near occasion is sin and scandal. No, it's not okay to live together. I say the same thing. For the heterosexual couple, for the reasons of near occasion of sin and scandal, you should not be living with the person who is not your spouse in a manner that appears to all to be like...
1: A marital relationship. And how about this statistic? I learned this statistic when I was in marriage prep, that couples who cohabitate before marriage have even higher divorce rate. Oh, absolutely. Of like 60 to 70%. It's major. It's very yeah. major. So I was yeah. like, oh, statistically, ain't doing that. Right. No. So I think
0: just in the last couple of minutes of this podcast, if we believe these things, to believe these things that the church teaches has taught from time immemorial that the bible states clearly we have to be willing to speak these truths in love to friends and family this includes our adult children who may make these choices and we have to be willing to say i love you dear but i am really concerned about this choice you're making it is not in keeping with the laws that God has given us. And I can't participate in it. So, you know, that discernment of, okay, you know, you got your kid who's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend coming home for the holidays. Are you going to put them in the same room? No. So often because people are uncomfortable having the conversation, they don't want to offend and they don't want to cause a rift. And they just want everything to be peaceful. They'll just, be like, well, they're living together anyway. It's just silly for me to say they can't when they're, no, it's not silly. Right. What it's saying is I love you too much to participate in something that I believe is contrary to God's will. Yes. We need to have the courage to say these things and to do these things with love, with charity, with affection, and it's not because I'm judging you but because I love you too much to say yes to something that God says no to. That's right. Frame it that way. It's not me. It's it's what God has shown us is his desire for us and I must cooperate with it in my life because otherwise I am going to stand in front of Jesus Christ in the day of my judgment and I have to answer for who I was and how I responded to his will. In the end, that should be our guiding principle, not whether or not we're going to make somebody feel uncomfortable.
1: Oh, so true. Because, you know, in my experience, when moms are really heartbroken for the cohabitation, they may feel as if they say something one time and, okay, I've done it. It was uncomfortable. I did it because I needed to. But no, keep keep at it. You know, don't give up. You know, right. just keep saying, this is not God's will and God's plan for you. And it's not just that mom's being stodgy and old-fashioned and prudish. Mm-hmm. It's because God wants more for you. In the end, be like God.
0: Mm-hmm. Does God just say, all right, well, I gave you these 10 commandments and there they are. And you live them or don't live them. I'm never going to say another boo about it. That's not how God operates. Why should we? Because if we're going to love, we love at all times. And to love at all
1: times means to live in God's will at all times. Right. And his justice will be there too. So, you know, how sad would it be if you get to heaven and uh, your child wasn't there because you only said something once about fornication? Well, there you go. Yeah. We have to account for that, man. That is true. Mm. All right.
0: Well, I think we'll wrap it up on that note. And then the next topic we're going to be discussing, um, maybe the, I think maybe the most uncomfortable topic of the ones that we have uh, chosen to discuss in this four-part series, we'll be discussing pornography and
1: masturbation in yeah. the next podcast. And it's going to be called Chase Living as an Individual.
0: All right, because we're called to be chaste in all aspects of our lives, whether we're in relationship or out of relationship. Mm -hmm. So thank you for walking shoulder to shoulder with us today on this episode, and we hope you will join us next time. Until then,
1: God bless. God bless.